and welcome to Pop-Tarts. I'm Emily Rems. I'm the managing editor of Bust Magazine in New York City. I love talking to you about pop culture. I love talking to my friends about pop culture. And today I'm doing both. My work wife, Callie Watts, is under the weather today. But taking her place in the co-host seat is one of my very favorite humans on this earth. She is Bust Magazine's Sex Files editor and frequent movie reporter contributor gal friday it's jenny miller hey y'all jenny thank you for stepping up to the mic as my co-host today anything for you you're the wind beneath my wings today on the podcast we are discussing the resurgence of a pop cultural icon ms winona ryder Here in New York, the Quad Cinema just announced that they'll be showing 16 Winona films this month as part of their Utterly Winona retrospective starting on August 17th. And the Alamo Draft House in Brooklyn is having a Winona Ryder all-day movie marathon on August 25th called Winona Forever that I'm definitely going to with my luscious research assistant. (laughs) Here to discuss with us why... Winona's appeal is more potent now than ever before is Christina Cacioppo, programmer at the Alamo Draft House, Brooklyn. Welcome, Christina. Thank you for having me. I'm a super creep. Tell me everything. I think that people are confused when women make faces. Sweet, sweet Sandler money. My whole thing has always been low and high, but like not middle. Teenage suicide. Don't do it. Don't do it. Before we jump into the world of Winona, you're the programmer at Alamo Draft House. Yeah. (laughs) That is like such a fucking cool job. How did you get it and how long have you been doing it? Um, I've worked with Alamo for about five years now, uh, almost exactly five years. Uh, They hired me way back when they were supposed to open a Manhattan location. Uh, So... I, I, uh, that fell through and I ended up working for the Yonkers Theater, which was definitely off my beaten path. Uh, but I was waiting all the while for Brooklyn to open. Um, I had been doing programming, you know, in different capacities for a while, but really where I sort of made my name was at 92i Tribeca, uh, which, uh, was 2008. It opened, I was there for it opening and I was there for it closing and it worked out very nicely that the Alamo hired me kind of when it was closing. So I did the film program at 92i Tribeca and it, I, you know, uh, was in touch with a lot of the Alamo Austin folks uh, in that time. And so that's how they kind of came to know me. And when the job was opening, they were like, would you want to do this? And I said, of course I would. And did you study film in college? How did you become a programmer? I did. And, you know, even more than that, I actually programmed my campus cinema. I went to the University of Florida. And while I was there, I found out that, you know, like I would go to the campus cinema. And when I started, they were doing great films, foreign films. I had even driven up to see Pink Flamingos there when, before I gone gone to college. Yes. And then all of a sudden they were showing like real garbage, like second run stuff. So I was like, how, how could this be? And came to find it was student run. So I joined up and then I ended up being the, the, co-director my senior year and it was like oh wait this is a job this is something people do so I got familiar with booking films and working with distributors and you know so I was studying film I was kind of a terrible student all the while but I actually came to understand that programming was a job so when I moved to New York I you know it took it took a long time it took a lot of volunteering and all of that but 
it, it was a job, you know? You know, with all the talk about diversifying Hollywood, there's really a lot of focus put on, uh, you know, actors and directors and screenwriters. But there's, you know, a lot of other parts pieces to the puzzle as well and I think programming is really one of them and it, it makes me excited and happy when there are women in programming positions because it means they're bringing me things that I am more likely to enjoy it definitely makes sense and I, I do think that there have been there's a good history of women programmers especially in New York City but you know it makes a difference you you do see that you know that that it, you know, as much as even men might want to try to be inclusive in their programming, like there's just something that you're inclined towards as, as a woman that, that brings in then other women. Excellent. Now let's dive into the world of Winona, shall we? Yes. The woman of the hour. Mm -hmm. What is it in your estimation about Winona Ryder that makes her such popular fodder for, you know, not just let's have a let's show a Winona Ryder movie but let's have a marathon let's show four Winona Ryder movies or 16 Winona Ryder movies why is this happening now as opposed to when she first resurfaced in Stranger Things she's 46 she's popping off everywhere why her why now it is strange why now I mean you know uh, the the Alamo in Brooklyn has been open barely two years so like a lot of the ideas I've had like have been kind of stewing for a while uh, and you know, with, with her resurgence with Stranger Things, like I, I thought that was that was like interesting, but I it didn't really like bring it back into my head, like oh Winona, yeah. Um, it's somehow just you know I I was just thinking about her and thinking about doing a movie marathon, and I was like oh like it would be perfect because it it feels like the right time to kind of revisit some of these older films. And, you know, and, and as I started thinking more about it, I was realizing, like, how kind of formative, you know, this, like, she was for me. And and it just kind of clicked into place and it made sense. And it just kind of felt like, OK, this is this is let's do it now. You know, I have a hypothesis that's forming just now as you're saying that <laughs> what when we all first entered the studio, I found out that you and I and my beautiful co-host Jenny are all in our dirty 40s which means like we were teens when Winona was a teen mm -hmm. and like now we're old enough to have some say in what happens pop culturally as programmers as editors as journalists <laughs> so like maybe it's just time that you know like those of us who are her contemporaries have the clout to make it happen Nespa that definitely makes sense <laughs> Winona was quintessentially a, the, the Gen X movie star because there was always something very weird and rebellious and countercultural about her as opposed to, I would say, certain concurrent movie stars like, say, Molly Ringwald or Demi Moore or Julia Roberts. Um, what, how would you guys describe Winona's it factor, especially when it comes to her female fans who I think are arguably more obsessed with her than her male fans are? Jenny? I think um, she is incredibly relatable to all of the misfit teenage girls where um, the ones where we were just searching for any sort of like-minded person and we didn't have access to the internet um, as readily anyway or we didn't have access to like hot topic you know we had to search for our icons and you know she just she made it seem easy, but you could also tell, like, it was hard for her. She didn't love it. Right. D 
Did you relate to her in that way? Oh, yeah, totally. I think also one thing, you know, that uh, is being brunette and brown eyed, like mm-hmm. was just like having that be the person on screen who was socially awkward and, and all of that was like incredibly relatable. So someone who was socially awkward and seemed really shy, but like was cool like that, you know, like so I had some of those things, but not the cool thing. Uh, so oh, yeah, it, there's three of us in this room right now who are all like brunette yeah women with glasses i'm jewish also and i was so into the fact that she was jewish and jenny's jewish are you totally i'm italian Italian. i'm I'm from long island and i'm italian and american (laughs) that's like a little close it's close (laughs) it's close yeah yeah there's because she wasn't like a barbie person yeah Yeah, and i remember when i was in high school like i remember discussing with someone like like we were talking about this girl we wanted to be friends with and someone was like she's very Winona like and I remember being like oh man like I would love to be described <laughs> as Winona like like that was like like the lure of like oh that's why we want to know this person because she's Winona like and there was something about her you know like when she was in Heather's and she had that monocle and she was scribbling in her oh diary God, I still think of the monocle when I journal Betty Finn was a true friend and I sold her out for a bunch of swatch dogs and diet cokeheads Killing Heather would be like offing the Wicked Witch of the West. Wait, East. West? God, I sound like a fucking psycho. I was like, that's me, even though clearly it was not me. Like, in my <laughs> fucking dreams was that me. But she, and she was like, you know. Great, Pat, but I'm going to have to motor if I want to be ready for that funeral. funeral. Like, in my mind, that's what I was like. But I was not that cool ever in my life. But in my fantasy life, that is the, the exact way in which I was cool. Yeah, I still want a monocle. So <laughs> aspirational. Yeah, but now I'm like worried that it would give me eye wrinkles. A monocle. You have to like squint around. Yeah, it. you get like good. one strong muscle. You'd have yeah. to kind of switch from side to side. Every you can once get in a while. like Popeye face a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I think of it every night when I journal. Let's talk about her personal life. I feel like it's especially juicy because we only have a precious few morsels. She's not overexposed, which mm-hmm. is part of her coolness. Like she doesn't really do like the late night shows like she doesn't do I think she did like one Oprah and like she's not super available on I don't know if she's on social media at all but I she's don't believe not, she is probably not she, yeah she's not and we didn't have the internet back when she was super you know dating Johnny Depp and all of these people right. and so, so we didn't those get... few morsels were mm-hmm. so incredibly scrumptious like I had to pick up a magazine so I could read about the fact that she was engaged to Johnny Depp in the early 90s. Peak Depp. Oh, the, so the good. greatest of all Depps. <laughs> we, were so oh, we were so pure. We were so pure. And after they broke up in the early 90s, he had to get his Winona Forever tattoo changed to Wino Forever. And then it became a self-fulfilling prophecy because he really is literally a wino forever. <laughs> like the whiniest wino forever. It's, true. it's because he changed his Winona Forever tattoo. He should have just left it. That's yeah. what you get. That's what you get for defacing your Winona tribute on your arm. And then I was obsessed with the fact that she was Jewish, as I said, because I myself am Jewish. And then it was weird but cool that she was dating Dave Perner from Soul Asylum for a while. <laughs> and then yeah. not. But then, like, that was it for her celebrity dating life like I know that she's been with some dude for a while but he's just like a regular anonymous non-celebrity dude and there she like her romances were not to grace the pages of the tabloids ever again it was just off it was off and then 
In 2001, she had her shoplifting mm. voyage that started at Saks Fifth Avenue in Beverly Hills. You know, people act like it was a shameful event. But honestly, fuck Saks Fifth Avenue. Yeah, who among us? Like, <laughs> steal them blind. They're yeah. the enemy. I don't care. Fuck them. Like, I think that much like Martha Stewart got cool after she was arrested and after she came back from jail, I feel like Winona's shoplifting arrest made her cooler. Yeah, I don't think anyone of her many. fans actually cared. Like, I don't no. know why For, it know, suddenly became this, like, career killer. In 2001... Like many, many cool women that I knew were wearing free Winona t-shirts that were hand screen printed. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it was just like another way to show that you were a cool girl who was down with the Winona tribe to support her shoplifting exploits. I don't want to make light of it. I I understand that it was sort of the result of a mental health crisis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she, you know, got find and she got the help that she needs and she was and it it really hampered her career for a while which is a shame because I feel like maybe the people in charge of casting thought that her fans cared more about that than we actually did and punishing a woman for you know being mentally ill or being outside the norm I mean Robert Downey Jr. like was crawling into kids beds and drunken stupors for like no one you know yeah cared Lot, to, i mean he made a comeback did lots of shit yeah um i don't i'm not clear on if people were withholding roles from her or if she just like receded from the glare of hollywood for a while do you know i feel like there i mean i'm sure it's a combination of both but it does seem like it, you know even with this whole thing of her not being sort of like in the tabloids much i i get the sense that she doesn't like that kind of attention and then it, it probably hurts her so so maybe getting all that attention was like this embarrassing thing and and i'm sure it didn't help like the struggles she was having so she probably just kind of like felt the need to disappear for a little while mm-hmm um, but I'm sure also that that people were probably treating her, you know, like in the industry were treating her like poison. Yeah, which is stupid. But then when she showed up again in Black Swan, we were all falling all over ourselves that she was like in like a like a capital B big movie again. It's true. And I, it was strange for me because I remember thinking I remember when Natalie Portman kind of first showed up, I was like, oh, she has these like Winona qualities, mm-hmm, but she's not mm-hmm, quite mm-hmm. the same. So it was strange to then see this movie like years later, kind of like sort of put them in this position where, she, you know, Natalie Portman is replacing her, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. Um, and and it was strange. Like I I, I like Black Swan, but in some ways I didn't like that Winona was put in this this role of like the has been, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I always felt that Natalie Portman, there was something almost a little too perfect about her that yeah, yeah. that puts her at arm's reach for me in a way where Winona's damaged goods in the way that I feel like I'm damaged goods in the way that a lot of other people feel that way. Mm -hmm. And so we feel much more proprietary about Winona Ryder maybe than Natalie Portman. Even if we respect and enjoy Natalie Portman's work, I'm not, I don't feel like clutching her to my breast and saying, mine, you're mine, (laughs) like I do with, with Winona Ryder. And maybe it's a generational thing, too. I'm not sure. I don't know that anyone is, that, that there's, like, younger people that are, like, totally loving Natalie Portman. I mean, she's fine, you know, but it's not it's not the <laughs> same sort of, like, iconic, you know. Are there any other personal life morsels about her 
that you know that can add to the sort of sparse collage of our image of her as a person off screen? You know, I only know because I was looking at Wikipedia uh-huh. today because <laughs> I was, you know, I was kind of like, oh, we'll probably mostly talk about movies. But then I kind of was like, oh, I'm sort of, uh, you know, it, I, I was reading something about how she was she was offering like a reward for this like missing girl from her hometown. Holly class. Who ended up like being like, yeah, being murdered or something. Mm-hmm. And there was for some reason like this was a little piece of you know, like like something she was trying to do. And I guess at her trial for the shoplifting, it was brought up trying to kind of show that she had this sort of humanitarian thing and the mm-hmm. prosecutor like attacked her for it. And it was like a whole <laughs> thing. Um, she was for sure an early murderino. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so that's one thing I know. And I, I know apparently she donates to some, uh, you know, Native American charities for like, like schooling. Uh-huh. And this is again, it's just on Wikipedia. <laughs> but I don't I mean, I, I don't end up having those those feelings of needing to know someone's personal life, I guess. Right. Is is sort of like I'm a creep that way, but not everybody is. <laughs> I'm a super creep. Tell me everything. <laughs> but I, as you said, you expected to come in here about movies. So let's talk about movies, yes. the actual films that she's in. An interesting twist in the Alamo movie marathon is that it's a mystery movie marathon people will be there sharing stories of their winona obsession and there will be winona themed drink specials which all sounds dandy um but and there's going to be four movies shown in a row like yeah marathon style mm-hmm. but you're not going to tell us what they are we have to just go and believe you <laughs> and find out what they are as they bounce up off our eyeballs i am shivering with anticipation <laughs> but i'm gonna tell you what my four favorites are uh-huh. in hopes of swaying your decision jenny and the prints are booked so <laughs> <laughs> jenny will may or may not have the same ones that i have i bet we do yeah because we're we're elder goths yep <laughs> so our our picks are going to be on the gothy side heather's number one with a bullet my number yeah. one favorite winona Ryder movie of all time I can't believe it. I just killed my best friend. And your worst enemy. Same difference. If you don't play Heathers, I'm going to set your screen on fire. (laughs) JKNR, just kidding, not really. Okay. (laughs) Edward Scissorhands is number two. That was when she and Johnny Depp's love was deep and real. You can see it in their performance. Yes. Okay, Beetlejuice. Yeah, classic. Are you the guys hiding out in the attic? We're ghosts. What do you look like under there? Aren't you scared? I'm not scared of sheets. Are you gross under there? Are you Night of the Living Dead under there? Like all bloody veins and pus? And young, hot Alec Baldwin. <laughs> right. Really right. A, a little bit unsettling, frankly. Yeah, when the hairiness was... Yeah, yeah really. It was really <laughs> attractive. Yeah, it was kind of still under control. Mm-hmm. He didn't. Yeah, it was... and those horrible, amazing sculptures. It was before um, Tim Burton got too many resources, if you know what I mean. <laughs> like, I feel like he got too much. Like, he was given too much of a production budget, and he like somehow jumped the shark. But this was before that when he it was just enough Tim Burtonishness. 
I'm torn for number four. Like those are my definite solid like one, two, three. But then I was thinking about Dracula and how opulent that movie was, but her role wasn't super great in it. If you seek culture, then visit a museum. London is filled. Excuse me. And then mermaids, I mean Cher. Mom. Mom, I'm warning you, I'm angry. I'm crazy angry. Don't walk away from me, Mom. You're not gonna walk away from me. Jenny, mm-hmm. are yours the same as mine, mostly? I would say very much so, except I have to uh, include Night on Earth. Hey, you need a cab, lady? Yeah, I guess I do. Yeah, I'm right here. You a taxi driver? Yeah. Okay, I, uh... yeah, why not? Simply for nostalgic reasons, because there was, there still is, but uh, an indie art house theater, not so indie anymore, called The Inwood in Dallas, Texas, and I would convince my mom to take me to midnight movies, and they would be totally over my head. And that was one of them. I had no idea who Jim Jarmusch was, like Beatrice Dahl, like all of it. I did not get it, and I did not care. I wanted to see Winona, and I wanted to go see a midnight movie. And now, of course, I appreciate all of it. I will say that Night on Earth would be in my top four except for i feel like it didn't have enough winona in it yeah it's probably what like a 20 minute segment yeah Yeah. (laughs) because it was episodic but it might be one of the best sort of oh if you were gonna say like what are the best movies that winona Ryder was in that would be in the top four and then there was um there's little women i sold my hair (gasps) joe how could you you're one beauty this isn't gonna affect the state of the union It'll grow back. Right. The Age of Innocence. Let's talk frankly, Newland. I felt a difference in you, especially since our engagement. Since our engagement? If it's untrue, then it won't hurt to talk about it. And if it is true, then why shouldn't we talk about it now? I mean, you might have made a mistake. Put her in a corset and sign me up. (laughs) (laughs) Would you say, Christina, that... You're going to cater to the elder goth demographic that will no doubt be there in force. Or would you say you are going to try to appeal to the many different eras and styles of Winona Ryder? Like, are you going to go for diversity or are you going to go for (laughs) box office? What what are you going to trick everyone and show lost souls four times? (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. I I I believe that I that I'm being true to the most long-term fans. Okay. Um so I don't think anyone will be let down. I think that there could be some surprises, but okay. that, you know, that if, even if there's a thing that might be a discovery for you that you're not going to be like that sucked, you know, you'll be like, "Oh my god, maybe I didn't think about this movie or I forgot about this movie." Right. While also being pleased with some of your favorites being like shown. there's some <laughs> that i haven't seen since i saw them f- the first time in the movies like what was that one that was like na 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 
reality bites that's the one yeah (laughs) (laughs) that one like that to me is a quintessential 90s movie it is and it was weird because like that you know like it there was that that sort of goth seeming thing about her and then all of a sudden it was this grunge thing uh that she kind of seemed to embody in that movie i feel like if in the future someone was like what was what were the 90s like like i could show them that movie and it would save a lot yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's true ethan hawk yeah right being scraggly mm-hmm. and wasn't Janine Garofalo in that movie too yes, yes. so yes. 90s-y mm-hmm. so tasty so any were there any other guiding principles that I can squeeze out of you um guiding principles I, you know I mean the other thing to kind of get into the nitty-gritty is you know we wanted to show things on film and a lot of times it's about what's available mm-hmm. you know oh right um, and and I will say that there's something in particular that I had to hunt for mm. and and like it, it, and I was kind of so determined. I, I was like, this has to be like this, you know. And and that makes things difficult because honestly, like if some of those things, you know, didn't work out, it would have felt like a bummer and a compromise. So like really, uh, even this thing happening was contingent on being able to find pr- certain things, you know. Like we all know, like Beetlejuice has played, so you know that that's out there somewhere. Um, but there are other things that it's kind of like. Oh well, these movies, you know, they, they don't play very much, and sometimes it's like, oh, there's a reason because like a, the film is just lost forever, huh. you know. So that's kind of a factor. I wonder what you found. You, I think you will find out. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's so cool that you're projecting them on film. I think you know, there it's always awesome to be able to see an older film, even if it's in digital, like digital form. But seeing it in like 35 is yummy. It's really yeah, I mean, and it's that's usually important. And, you know, with as far as like doing, you know, if you wonder why we do a mystery style, like it really does add to the fun. Like when you're in that room and and people are kind of really anticipating and then like the title comes on screen and people flip out like it's so fun. It's like <laughs> such a great little thing to have. Uh, you know, so that that that's why we keep it a mystery. You know, we've done it for we haven't done a ton of ma- marathons in Brooklyn, uh, you know, because we kind of like in our first years of getting started, it's like a marathon takes a lot like it's a, it's a huge undertaking. So we did like our Halloween marathon last year when I was in Yonkers. I did a few marathons. And even when I was in Austin, like I, I had hosted some marathons, they, they brought me to Austin to train for Alamo. So I did some screenings there. Um, and yeah, the the mystery kind of set up was really like so much fun to do. So that's why we wanted to keep it that way. Nice. Well, I understand that you cannot reveal what you will be showing, but can you tell me at all what I will be drinking? Um, do you know what the cocktails are going to be? I, you know, I should have brought a list because we they were getting worked on up until very recently. All I remember is one is called The Age of Ginnocence. <laughs> <laughs> Work. Um, I can't remember. I, I can't remember the rest of them. So I'm sorry. I'm unprepared. That's all right. That's um, all right. But I can tell you, I, I don't know if, if you know about we have, We're going to have like some giveaways <gasps> for everybody. Mm. Uh, my friend Ksenia Yarosh had made uh, a zine about Winona Ryder's hairstyles. Um, so I asked her if we could print these to give to everybody. Uh, and so she just made these beautiful sketches with, with like, you know, corresponding pages for the movie and the name. So everybody's going to get one of those. Uh, and then we had these mugs, uh, these uh, mugs with big fun on them made that everybody's going to get. Teenage Suicide. Don't do it. Teenage Suicide. Teenage Suicide. 
so that's another little fun aspect. Uh, and we'll have, like, we're going to have our pre-show with, like, Winona, you know, clips and things of, of, of uh, various whatever whatever else is out there uh, from probably TV appearances. She was on Charlie Rose once talking about The Crucible. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Of course she did PBS. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very strange. But yeah, there don't seem to be a lot of uh, interviews with her. No. I have Winona Ryder firmly implanted in my mind as a feminist icon. But when I was trying to sort of find some kind of, you know, actual evidence of this in terms of her saying, yes, I'm a feminist, couldn't find it. Um, that doesn't mean that she's not, but most feminists I know love her work and we love her work so much because it features her as a smart, sarcastic woman at the center of the story very often, which I find very feminist. And at the same time, I've seen criticism of her role in Stranger Things as being a hysterical mother trope. And I've also seen some of her earlier roles described as the manic pixie dream girl. Do you guys think of her as a feminist icon? Do you think personally she's feminist? Do you think her acting choices are feminist? Or is this just something that I'm putting on her because I'm a feminist and I love her? Jenny? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, like what I think is interesting, something you and I talk about sometimes is the the sort of mainstreaming of people identifying as feminist. And, you know, I, I don't know what she would say, but I would imagine if Rolling Stone had asked her in 1995, you know, she was a feminist. Well, they would never do it. No one no one talked about stuff like that then. As far as her being a feminist or making feminist choices, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I want to sort of claim her as one because she's weird and, and intelligent and an outcast and all these things that I love. Christina? I'm, I'm going to go with yes, that she's a feminist. I don't actually see her roles as seeming like Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Like, I can see that with, like, Natalie Portman, like, in, like, Beautiful Girls or, you right. know, like, all these things. But... Usually, you know, even if you think about mermaids, like she's a, a, that movie, she's lusting after this this boy. Mm-hmm. And I, I never feel like it really like positions her in this way. Um, one thing we haven't talked about is Welcome Home, Roxy Carmichael. Mm-hmm. She's like she her hair is like ratty and she just looks like this like gross kind of tomboy. In that. And that but she has an off the shoulder pink sweatshirt. Well, that that comes later. No, they're, they're like she ends up in like the dress, like the iconic the dress that they put on the poster later. But in that movie, it's like it's also her sort of like lusting after this boy, but also like not fitting in and like tending to this weird little farm of animals. Uh, and then I think later, you know, like like you know, I mean, she was so young when she started, so I think that that's yeah. that's part of what you have to consider. And I think when she started getting more agency over her career, I mean, Little Women, you know, is is this like powerful story of women, and I think that that was her. I think she had something to do with getting that movie in motion. And Girl Interrupted, she was the executive producer on, and I know that was like a major project for her and, and something that I think she thought it was important to talk about uh, women dealing with mental illness and all of that. So I do think that that um, 
she's at least done something to advance you know w- women in her industry i the stranger things i could definitely see i only watched the first season of that show but you know i i she was also in uh this show called show me a hero which was like an hbo like mini series about this thing that happened in yonkers it's kind of like a yonkers politics thing from the 80s and she had this really interesting role that was was sort of a city council member and i really like her in it because it takes place in the 80s and she she has this sort of look you know, it's very dressed down. I've but never seen that. I want to see that. You should watch it. It has uh, Oscar Isaac plays this mayor. Mm. It's it's a really <laughs> tragic story. And it's about uh, this time in, in Yonkers where uh, the city was trying to get them to build public housing. And, like, it just brought out this, like, racist, like, like population that didn't want this low-income housing. And, mm. and this mayor that was running on this one platform and how it kind of, like, destroyed his career and life. Uh, and Winona has this like kind of small part in it, but it was right before Stranger Things, and I and even just seeing her, and I was like, oh, this is a really interesting like character role for her to play because she's not sort of like front and center. But Stranger Things, like I thought, was odd. I, I felt like it was clear that they were trying to play on nostalgia with even casting her, and I get sort of like, oh, it's like oh, she's baddie, but you know, like she's getting paid. Like I feel like that's probably at a certain point, it's like, you know. She, she's back in there you know that that show is what it is like mm-hmm, i kind of mm-hmm. think it's a little overrated anyway <laughs> <laughs> feminist sidebar uh-huh. christina are you a feminist and if so does that inform your decisions as a programmer yeah i mean definitely i'm a feminist and and it does inform my decisions um you know it's always important to me to have like a really well-balanced program and i think to also make it clear that like like even as a feminist like some sometimes you want to watch like sometimes I want to watch action movies and I think that that women want to watch action movies so it doesn't mean that I'm always mm-hmm. trying to program like this certain type of thing but as I do it I mean I program a monthly action series called Fist City and I, I'm definitely <laughs> always keeping movies in rotation that that feature women in the lead role and let me tell you sometimes it's hard to find those you have to like dig deep mm-hmm. but it's usually interesting you know to to even just think about certain things in a context even I mean a lot of times even as a movie lover you have to dig and you have to like you have to forgive a lot of weird things yeah, uh, sure. and it takes conversations even to kind of be like oh this is why I think this is worthwhile even though it's like a little creepy or you know, whatever <laughs> or a lot creepy. it's hard I mean as a movie lover to to like reconcile some of that stuff because like like film history just has a long line of like you know and not even if it's not misogyny just like sort of like misunderstanding of women in movies you know Mm -hmm. yeah I mean I think we could you know definitely spend some time unpacking even the idea of the manic pixie dream girl and Mm -hmm. as an aside I really love the movie salt right the Angelina Jolie action movie Uh I'm just I'm just riffing on Fifth City. I need to oh no, I need to watch that one because oh I God. haven't seen it. I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Waiting for a sequel. Get on it. <laughs> Hollywood. It seems like programming a Winona Ryder film festival would just be so much fun because she's made so many good movies. However, nobody's career is perfect. Would you say any of her films are stinkers? Personally, I don't like Adam Sandler, so I was dismayed that she made Mr. Deeds. And obviously Woody Allen is canceled, so I wish she hadn't made Celebrity either. Do you guys think any of Winona's films suck? It's funny about Mr. Deeds, because also when looking at Wikipedia things today, apparently that's the highest grossing movie she's ever been in, which seems like really upsetting. Didn't she also break her arm while making that movie? Like they made her ride down the stairs in a on a bike or something. I don't know if that happened. I know that was like one of the last movies to come out after like her scandal or whatever. But um, 
I'm trying to think if there are any that I that like I've watched and was like, oh yeah, that's terrible. I I can't really. Mr. Deeds is her highest grossing movie. That's good. Oh, there's no justice <laughs> in this world. <laughs> I, I mean, obviously, it like hasn't like nobody watches that now. So it just does. It just means it came out, made a ton of money, and like maybe you know, 100 years from now, uh, Heather's will have grossed as much <laughs> because it'll catch up. But. Uh, um, yeah, that Sandler money. I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think if there's sweet, any. Sweet Sandler money. Oh, I have money. one. I yeah, have Jenny. One. Um, so as a freelance writer, you get assigned a lot of trash. Not by you, Emily, <laughs> but by editors. And one of the assignments I got was to review The Dilemma, which uh, starred Vince Vaughn and Kevin James. Womp, oh, this was womp. a recent movie. <laughs> and it was uh, Man Discovers That His Best Friend's Wife Is Having an Affair. I'm looking at this on IMDb because I don't remember it. it was, was she so the best bad. friend's wife? She was one of the wives. And I'm sorry, I can't remember. Which um, it was written by Alan Loeb, and he wrote Collateral Beauty, which I'm still mad about. He's written a lot of terrible, terrible stuff, and yet he's still working. And huh? he's he's probably rolling around in money. Um, he wrote Here Comes the Boom. I mean, just the worst. So I would say if you are skipping any movies in her oeuvre, it would be the <laughs> dilemma. Just don't, don't do it. Oh, I know that people hate Alien Resurrection, but I don't. I didn't ever watch it. I watched part of it recently, and it it wasn't as bad as people had led me to believe. <laughs> I was I was like, yeah, I can I can get behind this, but then mm. I started doing something else. <laughs> so obviously, it wasn't as captivating as perhaps they had hoped. Can you guys weigh in briefly on the SAG Awards last year? So the cast of Stranger Things was accepting an award for outstanding ensemble performance at the SAG Awards. It came to be known as Facegate because while David Harbour was giving this long, weird, rambly speech, Winona went on an entire facial journée. <laughs> like, it was literally one of those things, like, you know how, like, sometimes Vanity Fair will have, like... An, a-list actor and they'll be like make a face like this now make a face like this and they'll like show like a whole page of different faces of a master actor like she was doing that but it was just sort of whilst standing next to david harbour <laughs> accepting a sag award and uh people talked about it online for you know like a couple two three days or something uh what was going on there you guys um well i think these days we're looking for anything to gif to turn into a gif. And I feel like I see gifs everywhere, and that was a very giveable moment. Um, but I also uh, empathize with what her face is doing because I forget to or otherwise cannot control my facial expressions when I am talking or listening or really doing anything. So I can empathize. Like, she's a very empathetic person, and she was probably, like, feeling a lot of things. It was a journey, and I went with her on it. Her face went so many places. <laughs> Nobody heard a word that David Harbour said because it was just all about her many, many expressions. I think she was just goofing. I think <laughs> I think that she might have been a little tipsy. And to be honest, like, I think that people are confused when women make faces. Like, I think that that if that was like Adam Sandler or like Ben Stiller, it would be like, oh, he's he's goofing. But like because it was her and like as a woman, you're just supposed to be like, like here's my pretty smile like it mm. was like what the hell's going on like she's just doing something totally odd so let a bitch live yeah yeah <laughs> always yeah <laughs> that's fair it's 100 percent fair 
Before we take a break, Christina, I would like for you to weigh in on the issues that Alamo Draft House had a few years ago, if you wouldn't mind. As a, and I had to check in with Jenny about this because my memory of it was somewhat hazy. But in 2016, a former editor of an Alamo-owned website, Birth Movies Death, named Devin Faraci, resigned after being accused of sexual harassment. But then the CEO of Alamo, Tim League, quietly hired him back, even though another woman came forward after the rehiring to say she too had been harassed by Faraci. And then this prompted a guy named Todd Brown, who was a programmer for Alamo's Fantastic Fest, to resign in protest last year. And it all it incited an apology from Tim League, and some felt that it was inadequate or self-serving because he didn't really apologize for acting in secret to harbor someone who was an outed predator. And the whole fracas, I have to tell you, bummed me out because I felt like as all the things were going on, like Alamo was canceled, but I had in my mind, you know, like there's, in my mind, there was a lot of feminist shit, like good feminist shit going on Mm -hmm. with Alamo. Like I was thinking about like the Wonder Woman, all Mm -hmm. women's screenings of Wonder Woman and like the Brooklyn location that you program for I was always noticing like oh yeah like there's stuff that I actually want to watch there and that that's really cool and I was like oh why is this wrecking my good time why can't we have nice things so while I'm asking you this question I want you to tell me that the corporate culture is good to women and I want you to explain to me why it's okay to come back because you guys have good stuff yeah I mean I guess you know I felt really separate from all of this because I felt like it didn't really feel like the environment I worked in like does Alamo feel like a boys club sometimes hell yeah does do most places totally um but I never felt in danger in any way and all of this came as a huge surprise you know it was it was felt very distant from what we were working on in Brooklyn uh, and, you know, all, all I knew was that that I knew what I was doing and I knew the people I'm surrounded by. I know that there are more and more women that are like on the top positions of Alamo corporate office. And, you know, like I know some people were accusing us of like the the Wonder Woman thing being like an insincere thing, but it was like completely powered by people that were passionate about it. You know, like like a company is made up of a lot of people and we can't all control what everybody does at any mm. given point. So like there's, there's a lot of good people there and like there, there have been like very genuine strides. They, they haven't wanted it to be like a big PR thing because that's not what it was about. I think like Tim league resigning would have been like a PR thing because then it's like, Oh, we all can like act like everything's fine now, but he actually cared about advancing things and, and changing the culture and, and did that. Like we, we have a lot of measures in place. We have like, a very open thing for all of the staff, servers, kitchen, to be able to report anything that they feel is, you know, is behavior that makes them uncomfortable. Um, so I think that as a company, like like Alamo kind of stepped forward and this just came at a time where, you know, there was this culture shift and, and it, it, there had to be a wake up moment. And, and I feel like it happened, you know, like mm-hmm. I wouldn't be there if, if I didn't feel that way. So you would say that your corporate culture is, is, supportive of women now in the aftermath totally i mean i think that it was on its way there already so it wasn't like it was suddenly like oh shit we gotta like quickly 
it, it was like when I started Alamo, you know, I, I was really like one of the few women that were kind of a part of the programming team. And in these five years, that's evolved. And it didn't happen like last year because it was like, oh, shit, we better make sure we stack the deck. Mm-hmm. It was on its way there. And I think that this, you know, this very messy thing happened and then made it more so like, OK, well, like we really have to make sure that that these women that are rising in these positions all feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult in these uh, Me Too times up times to not throw the baby out with the bathwater mm-hmm. and to really like uh, help our cultural institutions evolve along with the culture instead of just burning all that shit to the ground even though sometimes we want to mm-hmm. and so it's it's um, I really appreciate you addressing the question because mm-hmm. there are things that you know cultural institutions that we want to continue enjoying and if like if people in power are willing to own up to their mistakes and evolve and move forward then I feel that we should have nice things I agree (laughs) good (laughs) thank you so um we're gonna take a quick break and when we return I'm gonna ask Christina I'm gonna ask Jenny and hopefully they will ask me what you watching before we get back to the show I want to tell you about our new sponsor, Wolfie Vibes Publicity. If you're working on a new project and find yourself in need of a kick-ass publicist who communicates well and works tirelessly to get you the coverage you're after, consider going to Wolfie Vibes Publicity. Wolfie Vibes Publicity is a female-owned and operated boutique PR firm that will get you where you need to be, and you'll even have fun in the process. Get in touch via wolfievibespublicity.com for details and quotes. And tell them that Pop-Tart sent you. And we're back. As is our custom, I'm going to start with our esteemed guest, Christina. I would like to know what you are watching. And when I say what you're watching, I mean TV, movies, books, podcasts, uh, notes passed to you in class, <laughs> any sort of pop cultural items that you have been consuming, we want to know about them because they are probably cool. Hit me. Um, I'll start with books. Okay. Um, you know, because uh, you probably were expecting movies, weren't you? <laughs> <gasps> you faked us out. Um, uh, I had recently finished reading Mill on the Floss, the George Eliot book, because uh-huh. um, I really like reading like old British lady, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and that that book like blew me away, and and like is still like in my heart and and like hurting me. But then I started reading the Executioner's Song by Norman Mailer, oh. um, which is about uh, a, this is the true story of this guy Gary Gilmore who was given the death penalty and wanted it, and and, and basically like th- they don't want to execute him, and he's like, hey, you gave you gave me the sentence but this this book is it's a thousand page book and like i'm like 700 pages in and it's crazy like it's Uh just like super intense is it worth it way more than like infinite jest oh yeah (laughs) i mean because it's infinite jest is is like a little bit impenetrable for me but like this is an easy read i mean and and it's like true crime you know like true crime shit i'm I'm, like one of those people you know like i just eat it up yeah and because because it's so detailed like it goes into the details of everyone like every person's background like the you know the da or like the random person that like you it somehow just gets into everybody's whole thing so you then like understand who they are and i love that like i love like every tiny detail when it comes to like weird crime stuff awesome mm. um uh 
I don't watch a whole lot of TV, but I started to watch that Who is America show. Yes. And it's like, drives me insane. Like, it's, you know, I watch it with my boyfriend and he's like cracking up and I am I just feel like I have to like hide while I watch it. Yeah, I feel like I have to put the blankets over my head. But Sasha I still want to know. Head. Like, it's just like so frightening to me. But I want to, I'm like, all right, I want to know. But I'm like, ah, I can't believe, I can't believe this was the country <laughs> we live in. Um, I, yeah, I don't really watch a lot of other TV shows. Um, movies, like, I watch so many movies, it's exhausting. Um, I'm trying to plan our Halloween marathon, Mm -hmm. and so I've been watching a lot of horror movies and making myself insane, because we have this weekly horror series called Terror Tuesday, so we show a lot of horror movies, so when it comes to our series, I'm like, well, what are, you know, we're showing all these horror movies, what's the angle here that makes it special? So I'm making myself crazy. But then, on a leisurely, uh, movie-watching thing, uh, I saw Out of Sight for the first time, the Steven Soderbergh movie Mm -hmm. starring Jennifer Lopez yeah um, I haven't seen it it's so good like it's really great and she's great in it like it, it's just one of these movies that like is so clever you know it, it comes from that it's like that Elmore Leonard thing which a lot of those movies are super annoying but this movie's like really great and really strong it's on Netflix right now right yes I watched it on a bus uh, like I downloaded and watched <laughs> it on a bus I was going to Boston so I watched <laughs> it on the bus um, uh, and I saw Leave No Trace in the theater, the the Deborah Granick movie about. Yes, uh, yeah. I really liked that movie. I liked very it too because I remembered reading the the true story of the father in Portland, the father and daughter living in the woods. And now I'm obsessed also because like they don't actually don't know what actually happened to these people. Really? Yes. What? Yes. <gasps> so I had like no idea. So so the book the there was a book written that is a fiction book based on it. And then the movie was made. And so I was like, oh, what what actually happened to these people? And basically, like, the, they disappeared once they were found and put in this home. So now I'm, like, all crazy. Like, oh, my God, I don't actually know what happened to these They're people. Out there. But the movie is really wonderful. It's really heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the young woman in it is incredible. I saw Unfriended Dark Web. Mm. I liked it. You did? <laughs> I, you know, I only recently watched the first Unfriended. And I was so surprised. Like, it's actually really clever. And so I was like, all right, like, can can lightning strike twice in this world of, you know, laptop thrillers? And it, it actually was good. Like, it, it's not as good as the, the first one, but uh, it has some interesting stuff going on in it. I like that you're a programmer for an art house, but you're not so highbrow. Oh, hell no. Yeah, my, my whole thing has always been low and high. But like not middle, you know, like like they, <laughs> like there's so many movies that are so middle brow that I'm just like, I don't have time. But, you know, it's like I saw the new Mission Impossible. I thought it was really fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I watch, you know, it's like it, it, my favorite filmmakers are like Agnes Varda and like Sylvester Stallone. You know, <laughs> like it's just, that's just sort of like I'm pretty equal opportunity. I just don't want like the easy dreck, like Little Miss Sunshine movies or whatever. <laughs> gotcha. Jenny Miller, what you watching? Well, um, I have been a little scattershot in my media consumption lately. Uh, Honestly, a lot of podcasts while I play Diablo, and that is the true fact. And Diablo is a video game. It is a video game. I believe it's Diablo 3. Anyway, I love my favorite murder um, because I'm a typical pop culture media person and (laughs) but true crime is the bee's knees right now. i know i just i feel like a cliche but anyway i also listen to like a lot of kind of witchy podcasts um witch wave is on hiatus right now but it is fantastic pam grossman's uh voice is so soothing i love serpent cast those ladies are very witchy and sexy 
And I also like Tarot for the Wild Soul. Mm. Um, yeah, I listen to like, yeah, there are a lot. Um, I really want to get into uh, Nicole Byer's podcast about dating. Um, and then I've been watching a lot of TV, not so many movies. Um, the last movie I saw that I sat through in its entirety in the theater was The Spy Who Dumped Me, which I was, I just wanted to spend time with a friend who invited me and I didn't care how good or bad it might be and I was surprised to find it enjoyable I hated it so much I know (laughs) I I know um I liked the action uh I liked the the quippage of uh Kate McKinnon of course Mm -hmm. um I like that beefcake from Outlander Sam Hewen I'm probably mispronouncing his name There were a lot of Outlander fans in the audience because I guess it was like a press fan screening. So they very wisely reached out to Outlander fans to fill that theater. And he showed up and it was it was it was something. Was it like when the Beatles hit America? Um, No, because the majority of Outlander's fans are uh, probably people in their 30s and older, such as myself, mm-hmm. and uh, we're much more chill. So, Got it. Um, I've been watching a lot of TV. Uh, I love Make It, right? Tame, the, the new Amy Poehler. Mm-hmm. Um, crafty show. Crafty, super crafty. Hi, I'm Amy Poehler, and I'm in this wood shop surrounded by what I believe are called tools. And I'm Nick Offerman. I use tools like these to make a paddle for my canoe, which I also made. And I started watching Dark Tourist, which is on Netflix, and it's hosted by David Ferrier. I'm probably mispronouncing his name. And he directed Tickled, which is a very- The Tickling documentary. Oh yeah, that thing's great. (laughs) It is super crazy and intense. And um, yeah, not reading a lot, but I would like to give a shout out to Sarah McLean's romance. It's called one good earl deserves a lover <laughs> and it is the second rule of scoundrels mm-hmm. and you should check it out it's hot to trot nice so it's a romance novel it is it is the kind of book you read on your kindle <laughs> because like you know if you're like me you can't see the words so good anymore <laughs> Aww, we'll we'll retire to boca raton sooner rather than later <gasps> yes spend our dotage in the sand ready I would like to share with you what I have been watching. I want to hear it. Tell us. I just started reading Jessica Hopper's new book, Night Moves. Jessica Hopper is um, a badass music critic out of Chicago. And Night Moves is sort of a, a, a very lyrical, sort of meandering collection of sort of diary snippets from the early aughts in Chicago. It's like cool kids riding bikes around Chicago, having DJ nights, making crafts, being punk. And it's just really atmospheric and lovely. Hmm. And uh, I recommend it. I've been watching the new Stephen King series, Castle Rock, on Hulu. And I have been enjoying it. I um, have been a Stephen King lover for many years. So, like, it's cool. It's like this weird mashup of, like, all, all these different Stephen King tropes all together. It's every Wednesday on Hulu, and I've really been finding myself looking forward to it, especially um, Melanie Linsky is in mm, it. I love her. I love and her I have loved her 
ever since Heavenly Creatures in 1994. If you've never seen that movie, it is like such a quintessential like tale of teen girl obsession. She and Kate Winslet play teen girl best friends whose friendship just gets so obsessive that it goes horribly, horribly wrong. But how can something so wrong be so right? Anyway. I had her, when we opened, that was like one of our opening things was Melanie Linsky with Heavenly Creatures. (laughs) That's is she is as lovely as she seems. Oh, she's seems. wonderful. Yeah, completely. Oh, she's made a lot of really good films since then. Mm-hmm. True. And, and I find that like I, she just draws focus. She's like the moon, and like she controls the tides around her. <laughs> anyway, she's very very good in uh, Castle Rock. She plays a, a clairvoyant, and um, it's really cool. The new Drake video for In My Feelings came out. So by far the greatest part of this video, which is sort of like an, it, it's epic. It goes on a ways. It has like some acting portions in it. Um, Felicia Rashad is in it. <gasps> and she like tells, yells out the window at Drake to get off her lawn. And it's the best. As well she should. You don't love me. Yeah, I love you. If you love me, then you make them other girls and your phone disappear. Okay, so what you want me to do? What you want? What You want my passcode? You want my phone? Tell me what you want. I'll do anything you want. I promise, girl. Hello? Ma! I want you to get your Jordans off my walkway. Ah. That's what I want. You yes, be ma'am. quiet, Missy, and get yourself away from that window. This is not a Tay Diggs movie, sir. You a grown man. Carry your ass on home now. Okay, you want me to leave? or you I want, want me- you to leave. And don't forget to go when you leave. Okay. Mm-hmm. She's such a queen. Like, I have forgiven her for defending Bill Cosby. I know that I shouldn't. But when I saw her, I was just so excited. I was like, it's Felicia Rashad. She told me I was pretty once. So you are pretty. I can't. I can't. <laughs> she was right. But, yeah, I, I am in my feelings about Felicia Rashad yeah. being in the In My Feelings video. And then there was, like, more gossip about this video because... Big Frida is in it, and apparently Big Frida had to ask Drake to be put in it, Boo. even though it was it's a bounce video and it's in New Orleans. Not cool, Drake. I'm glad that Big Frida's in it. Like, as long as Big Frida ended up in it, that's fine. But I think that you should have asked Big Frida, and she shouldn't have had to ask you, Drake. I know you're listening right now. You listen mm-hmm. to every episode. We all know it. And doesn't Big Frida have a new video out with Lizzo? Big Breed has a new video out with Lizzo for the song Karaoke. Yeah. I was watching it this morning. So good. It made me want to toss my butt cheeks around on a beach. Yep. I, I did because I work from home. So. And also it made me want to play bingo. Part of Ready. it's in a bingo hall and I was like, oh, yes. That's part of a retirement plan. Yeah, in Boca Raton. Yeah. Where all Jews must go I actually want to go to the Catskills. That's fair. We can talk about that later. We'll, we'll work it out. Yeah. Um. As I've mentioned many times before in this podcast, I'm Jewish. And I. <laughs> what? <laughs> shocker. I think I'm this sorry. Is... <laughs> Excuse me. Um, and as such, I am fascinated by the Hasidic community. Uh huh. I was not raised Hasidic. However, I did have Hebrew school teachers who were Hasids, and one of them took us on a field trip to Muncie which is like a big Hasidic enclave north of New York City and we stayed over her house 
and I was like, this is fucked up. Like, <laughs> as like a little baby feminist, I was like, you guys are slaves. <laughs> oh, God. I was not very um, culturally sensitive to the whole arrangement. But it did leave me with an enduring fascination with Hasidic culture, especially because it's so cloistered and secretive. And so I was into um, one of the very recent WTF podcasts with Mark Marin, and he had this actor on named Loser Twersky. Ooh, I know that guy. And he's an ex-Hasid who is an actor. He's hot. And he's hot, and it's so rare that someone leaves. I believe he was um, from borough park he was from brooklyn and then he was in muncie he when he got married he moved to muncie which is the place that i visited and he was just spilling the tea on like this on like the hasidic community today in all the ways that i wanted him to i'm like what's going on in there and his description was like it's basically north korea but in brooklyn Mm -hmm. or in upstate new york depending on which enclave you're talking about but like literally no English language, TV, movies, books, radio, like any of the what you watch and stuff that we're talking about. Nothing. He said that there's, you know, like this, I don't know if you'd call it a stereotype that Jews are so educated, but that like if you're growing up in Borough Park, you can't read and write English. Like they literally don't teach you to read and write English. So you can't leave. Hmm. He, he was in that documentary. Uh, he was in the documentary, One of Us. Yeah, which is wrenching. Yes, absolutely. So if you are like me and you are like, what is going on with all those Jews hanging out with each other and nobody else? You'll find out. If you see the documentary that Jenny's talking about, One of Us, or if you listen to Mark Maron's WTF podcast with Loser Torsky, I found it. Very illuminating and upsetting. You're a fan of Mark Maron. You know what? I have a I have a love hate. Yeah. But he, he does have a lot of interesting guests. And I love him on Glow. <laughs> right. And he, he's good on Glow. But is he playing himself on Glow? Who knows? <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to think about it. And that, my friends, is what I have been watching. I would like to thank our producer, Rachel Withers, the greatest producer of all. <laughs> and our pals Lally and Alec at 300 Entertainment and our girl gang at Bust Magazine. You can find me on Twitter at Emily Rems. You can find Jenny on Twitter too. My Twitter handle is Ms. Jenny Miller. M-S-J-E-N-N-I Miller like the beer. Nice. Christina, are you on the twits? Uh, not much these days. All right, <laughs> I have a fair. handle, but I don't really do anything with it. All right, fair enough. My Twitter is a hot mess, so <laughs> just FYI. You can find out more about Bust's giant 25th anniversary party. What? That's coming up soon. I'm ready. At bust.com slash party. And you can learn more about this show at bust.com slash pop tarts. And finally... Please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. We don't want to be obscure and secret like the lives of the Hasids <laughs> in Borough Park. We want to we want to be mainstream. We uh, want to be out there in everyone's ear holes and not just secret, not reading and writing and <laughs> and in the dark. It really helps us get the word out, and we super duper appreciate it. Until next time, mwah. <laughs>